Hi, everyone. Welcome back. It's great to be with you. Welcome to today's podcast, where I have the privilege of hosting my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Dana Sinclair, a renowned figure in the world of performance psychology. I've literally been trying to get Dr. Dana on the show for years. Super thrilled to be able to bring this convo to you today. Dr. Sinclair holds doctorates from both the University of Cambridge and the University of Ottawa, and she currently serves as a clinical assistant professor with the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia. Dr. Sinclair is also a member of the American Psychological Association. She has an impressive record of working with a diverse array of high performers, ranging from professional athletes in major leagues like, check this out, the NFL, MLB, NBA, WNBA, NHL, MLS, IndyCar, WTA, PGA, and every other I could go on. But she also works a load with the pinnacle of global sports competition, Olympic level athletes. We've worked together in golf. We've worked together in swimming and a number of other sports. And she's one of the few people that I've had the privilege of seeing work with an athlete such that she can make a difference almost instantaneously in someone's performance under pressure. Her skill in enhancing mental performance is sought after by surgeons, executives, coaches, and even performance artists, including actors and musicians. And I think what makes her approach unique is her ability to coach clients in adjusting their mental performance and their approach to that performance under pressure. This process isn't just intuitive, but it's grounded in years of proven research and her extensive experience. So in our conversation today, we'll delve into how Dr. Sinclair helps individuals from various fields use their minds to excel in what they do and the impact of a strong mental game on overall performance. So without any further delays, please enjoy my fascinating conversation on psychology and peak performance with Dr. Dana Sinclair. Dr. Dana, thanks for joining us. Greg, it's always great to see you. Yeah, it's super awesome. We've had a lot of fun over the years. And so this is going to be a great conversation. Hopefully we don't revisit too many wild stories from national team trips and all that sort of stuff. But um, in the meantime, why don't we begin with your national team background and your adventures and how you got involved in in sport and how you entered into sports psychology? Okay, I'll make a long story short. I did play on the national team, field hockey. Uh, I was captain of the team for a while and then was going to school at the same time. I started as an Aggie, if you can believe that. I was in ag culture for three years, but then kept playing field hockey and kept going to school. And then I stopped with hockey, kept going to school, changed faculties like three times. This is not a well-planned route. So for those of you who aren't sure what you want to do, don't worry. It will all come available to you if you just hang in and keep going. So anyway, I ended up doing a PhD in sports psychology and then realized that I couldn't get what I wanted, which was to be licensed as a psychologist. As I say, I should have looked at it a little carefully, more carefully. And then I went to Cambridge and got another PhD so I could get supervised and licensed and really begin the career that I was looking for, which, again, I wasn't quite sure of because I worked in reproductive psychiatry for a few years running research in some hospitals in Vancouver and loved that. But I decided the sports stuff and the performance stuff was really fun and joined my husband in a business and I did the sport performance side and he did sort of the selection hiring side and here we are. So Dana, once you got through all of this training and you you look back upon it now, 
What do you think it was that enabled you to give yourself permission to go after the thing that you are passionate about, the psychology, the sports, and really lean into that one specific area? And I ask, because so many people struggle with finding their purpose, finding their mission, finding their thing that they want to do and giving themselves permission to get into that. But it sounds like it was a little bit of a circuitous route for you to get there. So any insights you have on that would be spectacular. Okay, well, it was circuitous, but I think I found that every time I got somewhere, I did like it, but I wanted more. I felt I had a lot of life to live, so I thought I better get it right earlier in my career than wait and be unhappy about it later. So one thing that I like to talk about is, you know, find something you're good at. I don't worry so much about the passion part because I think the passion comes later. If you find something that you are interested in and you work towards it and you actually become good at it and you get better and you find work in that zone, it becomes your passion. So I think sometimes passion is hard to build or find until you start to do some things. So try it. And if it doesn't work out, which pass, try it again. Sometimes you have to quit things to be able to get to what you want to do and what you're good at. Letting go and quitting is sometimes pretty difficult to do too, right? Like letting go of something to open up space for something else is sometimes pretty pretty challenging to give yourself permission to do that too. Well, I think a lot of times people are parented or coached or in school, we're always taught work harder, work harder, don't quit, stick with what you've got. And I don't think that's the best advice. Interesting. Can you expand upon that? Because that is 100,000% what I see with my kids. And I want to make sure that they have the chance to, you know, if it's not working, move on, do something else. Like that's so fascinating. Yes. Even in sports, we're told work hard, get to the gym, do your training. Yes. Most people do work pretty hard and you have to, of course, to get the skills and, and to advance. But a lot of times we don't work smart. We don't deal with the mindset. We don't think about how to apply ourselves effectively. So it's just this push, 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 because nobody knows how to tell you to expand in other areas to even get more out of your talent. Talent doesn't ensure success. The mindset does. How can we begin to develop awareness around the mindset that we need to have in order to become successful? Okay. We have to think about our own performance styles, what we do well under pressure, where we falter under pressure, and knowing what gets in our way or what the obstacles are, whether we get too worked up with negative thoughts, whether we focus too much on the results instead of the process, whether we worry about the expectations and try to be perfect and fear failure. We have to figure out in our lives, okay, what are the two or three things that do bug me that do get in the way? And maybe now that I've isolated those, I can have some courage and try to figure out a way around them using some mental skills. It's all about trying to apply these things under pressure. Most of the time we're fine. You know, when you're feeling good and it seems easy, roll, 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 go, 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 I say. But when we bump up against some of what we perceive to be our limits or our limits and we get a little worked up and we don't perform so well, okay, let's figure out how to do it better. Figure out how to do it when it matters. Right. That's Luna barking about figuring out how to do it when it matters. (laughs) You mentioned bumping up against our limits. Mm -hmm fear of failure, Mm -hmm. and that state that we're in 
at that particular moment in time is always very fascinating to me. And then taking a moment to pause to figure out, okay, what's getting in the way here is really challenging. But I think that's what you were getting at. Could you explain that in a little bit more detail for me? For sure. In the moment, you can't. I'm talking about having to pre-plan it. Because really? in yes, because in the moment, there could be 18 things going through your head, or you just get distracted by not wanting to blow it. And what do people do? They hold back and they think they come up with excuses. They don't stick to the focus. They don't stick to the, the technique or the procedure or listening to the question, whatever's going on, whatever task they're involved in. It's not just sports. I mean, I work with surgeons. I work with actors, students. It works for anybody. There's a process that I think is very helpful, and it's simple. So one, figure out what gets in the way. And it could just be, oh, I get super tense when this part of the situation, the task is coming and I hesitate and I back off. Okay. If that's the case, well, then we've got to put some skills into action here. So the top four skills for me are getting calm and being able to stay there. Number two, you've got to pre-plan your performance cues. What do I need to do in that moment to be able to execute the task properly? Whether you're on stage, I mean, you have to deal with this all the time. Everybody performs. You perform all the time at home, on stage, wherever, you know, in the pool. You have to kind of figure out, okay, how do I get calm in the moment? And again, it all has to be pre-planned because it's pretty hard to do on the fly. You have to figure out those performance cues. Again, those things that will you have to stay focused on in the moment to get through the task properly. Then there's some self-talk. Self-talk has two parts in my view. One, you've got to know what your facts are. What are your accomplishments? Have, have Think through that ahead of time, because we all go to the negative in the moment. But you know what? If you take a moment and list, okay, I did this, I did that. Well, you know, I'm not, you know, I look at the list. I'm not that bad. I'm actually pretty good. So yeah. that's one thing that you should have ready to go. And then you've got to figure out what types of things to say to yourself in the moment, because you really You've got to talk your way through your performance. And then doing a little bit of daydreaming to practice this in your head feels it all off. So you've got a choice of four skills. You don't have to do them all. I hmm. say pick one and do it. But the, the, my favorite, you got to get calm and be able to stay there or be, you know, calmish. Yeah, calmish, which is calm-ish. amazing. Calmish. Yeah. That's enough yeah. sometimes. That's all you need. If you're if you're at a seven out of ten on the on the tension scale, and that's when you're starting to forget things and getting tight, if you can get yourself to a five, that's all you need. That's all you need. Let me describe a situation to you. I did Iron Man a few, a few oh, times yes. for better or for worse. And in one of the times when I did it, I got off the bike. So you swim 4K, you ride 180K, and you're about to do a marathon. So I'm in between the ride and the marathon. So I'm putting on my shoes, and I've got a bunch of stuff in my bag that I put there for a reason. New socks, some gels, and some skin lubricant stuff so my feet mm-hmm. wouldn't sort of fall apart on, on the run. Yeah. And I got to the point, I was like, my feet are good. I don't need to change my socks. And I headed Uh-oh. out on the run. Exactly. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Ended up with two of the biggest blisters I've ever had in my life. So it's interesting that in that moment, I had pre-planned. I had my checklist. And as soon as I was stressed, 
tired, fatigued, the idea of sticking to my technique went out to the window. And that was one of the mistakes I made that I tried not to do the next time that I did it. But it's that, that to me is curious. And it's so cool that you said like, pre-plan, think about what gets in the way and make sure that you have some self-talk in order to walk yourself through those moments better next time. Absolutely. And that third part of the process, you just nailed it. You got to, you have to have a plan. So you've got all these sort of strategies that you laid out, but now the last part is I need to actually plan this. What do I do before? What do I do during? What are my, you know, what situations, specific situations do I have to plan for? Perhaps transitions, right? And then what's my number one focus? When all else goes out the window, what do I have to do? Do I just have to keep my form? Do I just keep my, you know, when I'm running my hands in my pockets or what am I doing here? But you have to have a plan and it's got to be big enough just to stick on a sticky note. That's it. Mm. Not some big laid out plan. I mean, you start with that, your blueprint, that's it. But then you've got to get down to the sticky note for action, for the event. So for you, maybe in that situation, next time anyway, okay, I've really got to stick to my plan. Because if I start going off piste, it's chancy. You're leaving it to chance. We shouldn't be doing that so much, right? And it's easy to do in the moment. Because feeling good and, and performing well is just as distracting as performing poorly. Because Whoa, guess what say happens? That again? Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Performing well is just as distracting as performing poorly. Because guess what? When we're not focused on the task, we're in the distraction zone. Expectations, negatives, worried what people are thinking, mistakes, all of those things. If I'm performing poorly, it's my head is over there. If I all of a sudden start performing well, hey, look at me. I'm thinking results. Boom, right back in the junk. And that's why you got to learn to be able to shift when you drift. You're going to shift on over to the junk. Sorry, you're going to drift on over to the junk. You got to be able to shift on back. And you have to have that sticky note ready to go because that's in the moment. That's all you've got time to do is just get to those things. Come on now, you know, whether it's something about your technique, whether it's just talking yourself through it, whether it's telling yourself to relax the shoulders, just breathe. That's all we're talking about. Simple stuff, but it's very effective. And this is something that let's say you're talking about a baseball player who's at bat going through the process of managing what pitches are coming, what's working, what's not working. This is a golfer managing how do I recover from a bad shot to make sure that I do the next one well. This is an executive taking a difficult question. All It applies everywhere. Am I correct? It applies everywhere. Say you're walking to a big meeting and you're asked to stand up and expand on something that you weren't planning on or you're not even sure about. How do you feel? How How do you feel right then and there? Boom, heart rate goes up, get a little tense. Mind starts to go a little fast, right? Oh, no, don't blow it. Okay, that's if you know how to settle yourself down, you'll be better in any situation, whether you know what you're talking about or not, right? Exactly, right. Which quite often the case in my world. Anyway, um, (laughs) I'm also really interested in the idea that you talked about with regards to self-talk, making sure that you have facts ready to go, which is looking backwards at your accomplishments to build your confidence in that particular instant, but then also knowing what is it that you want to say in that moment to keep you moving forward. So it's sort of like check the past for confidence, bring your attention back into the present moments that you can 
carry forwards. That's two elements of self-talk I haven't actually laid out in that that way before. That's also interesting. Yeah, I, I think we're all taught to that when you think about your accomplishments, oh, you're being cocky, you're being boastful. Mm-mm, no. And also, too, when you do accomplish something, we're taught, okay, well, that's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to do that. So you don't think about that anymore. You move right on. What's next? I've got to now accomplish this. No, take a moment. Think about it. Write them down. It helps ground you and think, okay, actually, I've accomplished this. I can do this. I'm okay. It's a nice calming mechanism and actually lets you see reality that those things no one can take away from you. Even you in a cranky moment can't say, I'm no good. I didn't do that. Yeah, you kind of did. So settle down. Now let's move on to how we're going to do this. It's important. In fact, I've got clients who, you know, before a big competition, the week before, I'm thinking of one person who started looking at their facts every morning running through the the tournament that they were in. They got to the finals. They came second. They played great. Very happy, right? But part of that was just grounding themselves every morning with, okay, come on. I'm here because of this, 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 and this. I got this. Let's go do it. It's a good start. It's almost like we want to keep a journal of your successes. Why not? Why not? I listened to a talk with Matthew McConaughey, who's a reasonably good mm-hmm. actor, and he had an interesting <laughs> point that he that he made was that when he journals, he doesn't journal when things are going off. He only journals when things are going great because he wants to have a detailed record of what he was thinking, feeling, and doing in those times when he was on top of the world, when he was at his absolute best. So he has a reference point to look to when things are not going well. That makes complete sense to me. I'm always asking people when we're trying to figure out what direction to go to better their performance. Think about your good performances. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Now let's think about the bad ones, but we're going to learn. We're going to learn from both, but you've got to think about the good ones because there's a difference and you've got to be able to figure out the specifics to be able to shift from the bad over to the good in the moment. Because you know what? We all want results. We all want to be good at what we do, but it's not always easy to get the most out of ourselves when we're feeling pressure. So you've got to take matters into your own hands and plan it out a little bit. Do you think that it's the planning out in advance that helps us to cope with the pressure? Is that one of the most important factors you think? Yes. I think some people do it well naturally, but most people are cautious individuals. If you're thinking of a scale, cautious to aggressive. I mean, we don't want to be at the end of the aggression scale because that's belligerent and annoying. So we don't need that. But sort of, you know, a lot of people are sort of, you know, two, three, four. They don't want to take action unless they know it's going to work out. They're a bit risk adverse. You know, they're modest. They're humble. They sit back. Learning to sort of push that up a little bit is one of the best things we can do for ourselves. Just, you know, push it up from a three to a five just in the moment for Mm. that task and then go back to the wonderful you. So to be able to get off of your natural self, you have to sort of think it through. Next time, this is how I'm going to handle it. Practice it. You're much more likely to do it the next time. But yeah, it's very important. It's not just about the power sky. Yeah, no kidding. And I love the fact that what we're doing in this conversation is figuring out how to make success inevitable, right? Like we're taking, we're trying to figure out ways of making it less 
subject to chance and maybe I'll do well, maybe yeah. I won't. But in fact, I can deliberately plan out my performance. I can anticipate the challenges that might come. I remember it's watching them. Yeah. You're creating predictable performance, which is spectacular. Mm -hmm. I watched a documentary on Alex Honnold climbing the Dawn wall um, and doing the without ropes. And it was a huge cliff. He did it without ropes or bolts or like free soloing the whole way up. And one of the interesting things that he said was that he visualized everything that could go wrong and what he would do if it did. So mm -hmm. if he put his hand on a hold and it slipped, what's, what's, going to happen. And he had actually pre-visualized that all the way up. And you mentioned daydreaming and visualization. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful tool too. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. It, to me, focused daydreaming is the best. So a lot of times when you talk visualizing to people, it's, just, it's the same thing, only sort of my version of it is sort of a, a quick version. I like people to practice in their heads, get an image and whatever else goes with that image for, you know, do it for five seconds. If you do it for five seconds, see how, plan out how you want to be, practice how you want to be and do that three times a day. That's actually going to make a difference. It doesn't seem like, but people think, oh, I have to sit here for an hour and go through everything in time and whatnot. If you want to, and you like it for sure, do it, but you don't have to doing it regularly more often is extremely helpful. You can practice becoming chill, learning how to calm down and keep your composure. You can practice a skill in your head, getting better at something. You can see highlights, go over the good stuff. You can learn to fight back in your head, whether it's on the field or in a conversation. How am I gonna handle, just like the free solo, or how am I gonna handle that negative situation? As it, do I just, let it happen? Or do I fight back? Do I practice fighting back in my head? Mm -hmm. And then lastly, step it up, daydreaming. Change the script. Be bold. Think of something different. Don't just go with what you got. You know, go big. So it's almost like my daughter Ingrid right now, learning how to go for it in a race, right? Like she's got to figure out at some point, there's two different strategies. Yeah. You can go out slow, back fast, or out fast. and. Yeah. And then just hold on and survive. The second exactly. option is scary, but you could visualize that and see how it goes before you actually try it in a race. Yes. And then so cool. the more you practice it and the more you sort of think about it, you can make a better decision as to what you want to do as opposed to just saying, okay, well, we'll see what happens. Right. It takes courage to try to be good, you know, and to try to do these things. So it, sorry, say that it takes courage to try to, try to, to be, be good. good. To try to be better. It's not easy to put yourself out there because we do end up with a bit of self-sabotage sometimes. I really want to do this. I think I can. Okay. But what if I actually really try and it doesn't work out? Oh, it can't be me. So we you know, throw excuses in there to say if it doesn't work out, just so I'm ready for it. Well, I knew I wouldn't. I knew that time because you know what? I didn't practice enough or I didn't do this on the way out, or whatever it is. I didn't study up enough. We're always kind of giving ourselves a soft landing, which is okay, unless it's bothering you. And if you know you could be better, you kind of have to get those obstacles out of the way by 
getting calm and staying there, talking to yourself, all these skills and planning it. Isn't it interesting how sometimes the person who holds us back the most is ourselves? Like that self-sabotaging to keep ourselves safe plays such a huge role Mm -hmm. in whether or not we actually get there. Yes. And this is the stuff I talk about is a, a soft way because it's a private way. It's a safe space to figure out, okay, do I really want to clean this up or am I happy with what I'm doing? Because if I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to keep getting what I'm getting, which could be fantastic. Right. Or uh, I want to tweak this a bit. How do I do this? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking just even of skill sets. I'm thinking, I go back to, you know, the getting calm and staying there. If I could just get people to think more about that. I think of, okay, an uh, NFL quarterback, I work with what he has said uh, this season is, you know, if I, it's actually two football guys, NFL this year, I've got to stick with the breathing because they've got the skills pretty much down and they've studied all week. Right. If I can just keep the tension a couple of notches below, you know, not a seven, if I can keep it at a five or a four, I'm good to go. It all works out. So they work really hard. The quarterback, you know, he's you know in the huddle. He's doing his thing, but he's still settling down. He's waiting for the snap. He's breathing. He's dropping back in the pocket. He's doing the same thing. Same with the other guy. He's ready to get off the line fast. He's ready to go because he's taken the time to actually tell himself to breathe and settle. I know it sounds simple. It is, but it's hard to do if you don't pay attention. Funny how it works, right? It is funny. It's also funny how we think that being like that, we're going to go, but that leads to tension, which sabotages our ability to perform. And our true potential lies in relaxed energy, not trying harder. That's so backwards. It helps your body and it helps you think and cue into the critical things in the moment. Could just be one thing you need to be able to do. Get off the line fast. I can get off the line faster if I'm calmer. Because in an NFL game, there's not too many opportunities where people are going to find themselves. I'm just not, I'm just, you know, whatever. And I'm too relaxed. No, no. I might be unfocused, but it's not that I'm too relaxed. Yeah. You're not too relaxed at the Olympics. You're not too relaxed at the sales meeting. You're not too relaxed in a heated conversation, right? The pressure moments, which define our life to some extent, the magic moments are those where we need to probably bring ourselves back down into calm-ish. Yes. doesn't have to be calm. It's never going to be perfect. Don't worry about perfect. Calm-ish. It's good enough. And good enough is great in my books. Love it. Speaking of getting out of your comfort zone, you wrote a book recently. I did. (laughs) Tell us about the book. Okay. Well, it's called Dialed In, Do Your Best When It Matters Most. And it's for everyone and anyone who wants to be better or thinks they can be better. And it goes through busting a few myths out there that we're all sort of taught that we have to have in place in order to be successful in our performances. And I try to push around a few of those, one of them being, you know, confidence. Everybody thinks they need to be confident. Um, And I say, no, it's overrated. You might want to be confident, but you don't need to be because really in the moment, 
it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what you do. So I'm always pushing people to the do, get away from the feel. You can feel it all later. Don't worry. But in the moment, it's all about the do. So things like that. It. And then that's amazing. And then in this, it was fun to think through for sure. And then the second part of the book is actually explaining the process. How do I perform under pressure? Here you go. Step by step. Boom. Do it. I think right away about like, I don't feel like going to the gym, but I'm just going to go to the gym anyway. And it's the action, not the feeling that determines whether or not you will be successful long-term. That's really kind of my mantra at the moment going <laughs> along with just being calm-ish. I said to a friend of mine recently, they're like, how do you want to feel when you're on stage? I'm like, just not anxious. They're like, that's called calm. I was like, oh yes, that's right. Calm. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so I love that you've put together a book that helps people walk through this, takes all of the information from you know all of your years of practice. Is there one sort of story or or fun thing that you discovered when you were writing your book that that popped in where you're like, huh, that's kind of a neat little piece that just sort of brought a smile to your face as you were working your way through create, creating the book? Well, the one thing I did find, I quite enjoyed it. I wasn't sure if I would or not. I thought I would, but I did because it gave me a chance to actually pull all the fun stories and the great clients that I've worked with in the pros and wherever over the years and put it out there for people to use so that people can relate to it and use it for themselves. And I did like putting all what I had, trying to make it clear. Like it's not necessarily as what have you written five books? Yeah. Crazy enough. Right. <laughs> there they are right there. Right. Okay. Wonderful. But trying to, make something like very clear, simple writing takes a while and you've really got to think it through. And I love that process. That's cool. Yeah. It was interesting. Even like the ripple effect book, uh, the super bodies book I wrote first was way too complicated. It's like a textbook. And then I just tried to make the ripple effect. So simple. It's like sleep, eat, move, think like literally yeah. four words. And that's the one that has done by far the best because it is oh. taking all of this simple, this complexity and making it simple and digestible and actionable for people. Yes. Well, in, in, in my work, I've been, obviously I came from the research world and the hospital world, but trying to make it applicable to people has been a real joy because that's, what's been fun in my practice is having people walk out of the office or, on the sideline or, you know, into an exam, having something that they can use right away that works. And that takes a while to get to, but it's so wonderful when you can help someone very quickly, as I say, on the sideline, in the locker room, on a bus, on a plane with a team, they need something fast and they, they need it to work. That's what's been the fun. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed over the years of working with you that you're able to do so well, I always describe you as like Dana's a sports psychologist, and she's you know one of the people I've met who, in the moment, can make an instantaneous difference to somebody as they're competing to help them reach their potential. So I love that you created the book to help all of us do that a little bit more. And if people want to learn more about you and your work and the book, where can they go to find out a bit more about you? Uh, they can go to Amazon, and they can go to Indigo, and they can go to drdanasinclair.com. 
Perfect. Dana, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. I really appreciate your wisdom and your friendship and good luck with the book. It's awesome. And I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us today. Oh, thanks very much, Greg. As I say, always great to see you and we'll, we'll chat soon. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Dr. Dana. Super awesome. Her new book, Dialed In, Do Your Best When It Matters the Most, is available for pre-order at drdanasinclair.com. So if you can check that out, that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, I'm sure you can tell from that interview that there is just so much great information that she can share that can make a huge difference for us. And when you have a quote from Billie Jean King on the cover of your book, and specifically the quote is, anytime you enter the eye of the storm, you need a guiding light. And with this book, Dana gives us an inspiring and innovative path forwards. Like that's a pretty incredible quote from a pretty epic human to have on the front of your book. Definitely check it out. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you again soon.